0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is Pat Salver with the Doctor Ways in on the radio. And we're going to talk about hair today, specifically hair loss and what to do about it. And we're super fortunate to have with us Dr. Ken Anderson, who is uh, Chief of Hair Restoration at Emory and the founder and director of the Anderson Center for Hair um, in Atlanta. And uh, welcome, Dr. Anderson. Well, thank you very much for having me. And so I, it's hard to know where to start. There are so many interesting uh, questions that I have for you, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to have for you. But I thought we might start out uh, by having you tell us a little bit about how how did you get into hair restoration? I mean, you trained in, in plastic surgery, and um, and and now practice exclusively issues around hair loss and hair restoration. What's what's your story?
1: Well, I, uh, I've wanted to be a plastic surgeon since I was in high school and made the decision then to pursue that career. Um, all of, during high school and college, I took art courses. I'm a formally trained medical illustrator, and I, I made an assumption that plastic surgery was very full of art and artistic judgments and, it, and, and that it would feel like I was creating art. Uh, when I went through the training, I realized it's a lot more technical than it is artistic, um, and so, you know, I was enjoying it, um, I was good at it, but I discovered the field of hair restoration surgery uh, in 2003, and I discovered quickly that it really relies on uh, uh, heavily on artistic judgments and the artistic ability uh, of the surgeon performing that surgery. Uh, and so, uh, this was 2003, I was just out of training, and uh, instead of, you know, fighting everyone, uh, else for Botox patients and facelifts, I decided to uh, enter the field of hair restoration surgery uh, and practice that exclusively, and uh, uh, really uh, a, a new thing at the time because it was a, such a small little field. We didn't have the lasers and the stem cells and the robots that we have today, so um, it was just kind of a new kind of field, but the, really the the requirements for the artistic talents on behalf of the surgeon and, and the way the, the actually doing the surgery, it feels like I'm doing art, that really uh, uh, drew, my, uh, uh, drew my attention to the specialty, and I really, after uh, starting out in Beverly Hills, California, at a prominent hair transplant practice, I've, I've never looked back and just have been performing hair transplant exclusively since 2003.
0: Well, so we're going to dive into some of the technical issues and the artistic issues, but I thought we might start out, first of all, by talking about just how common is hair loss, both in men and in women.
1: It's actually more common than you'd think. Uh, In men, uh, up to about 50% of all men will have clinically significant hair loss at some time uh, during their their lives. Uh, It can start as early as age 15 or 18 years of age. Uh, with typical female pattern loss, that tends to start later in life around menopause, as early as 35 or 40, but typically centering around age 50 or so. Uh, and that affects up to about 40% of, uh, of women uh, uh, to a clinically significant degree at some point in their lives.
0: And, and what about why this happens? I mean, we know that men's hair loss is r- related to um, the male hormone, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that, but but why do women get hair loss?
1: Well, it's uh, it's, it's really interesting. I, did, I first want to touch on the point that uh, uh, some patients come in and have a little bit of hair loss, and they're quite concerned about it, and sometimes they're embarrassed about that. Other times, guys or some females will come in with a, a lot of hair loss, and it's not very concerning. That's almost always males, uh, but I want to point out to the listeners that there's uh, been many studies that show... Uh, like psychology studies that show there's no correlation between how much hair loss a person has and how much of an impact that has psychologically. And so it's uh, it's it's common in medicine for many practitioners to, you know, downplay the importance of a full head of hair. But it really is a powerful uh, thing, and, and it affects many people in, in many different ways. Um, in terms of what causes it, well. It's it's inherited. Uh, A lot of people think you inherit it just from your mom's side, but that's actually not true. You you sort of inherit hair
0: loss.
1: For women's hair loss as well, Mm -hmm. you kind of inherit it, sort of like the shape of your nose, a little bit from from both parents. And so later in life, you may or may not have hair loss. Sometimes it can even skip generations. I've had many patients who don't really have a recent history of hair loss that that end up with some uh, hair loss in their lives. Um, but with uh, men, it's pretty straightforward. It's an analog of testosterone called dihydrotestosterone. And, uh, you know, some men are sensitive to the, the, the balding effects of that hormone, and some are not. With female pattern loss, it's a little bit less clear to the medical community. Um, we really don't have a very simple, uh, you know, it's it's this hormone, it's doing this. Sometimes it can be caused by common things like anemia, uh, uh, thyroid problems. Uh, sometimes it can be caused by more rare things like, uh, you know, a benign ovarian cyst that's producing some hormones, or a, a similar uh, cyst or tumor on the adrenal gland. Some, these are rare cases. Most, uh, uh, most of the time, unfortunately, uh, in females, when we go looking for a specific cause, we really can't find any. So it's not something that we can treat medically uh, with a pill to target a certain hormone like, like we have for men. Uh, but, you know, we have plenty of other things, but it's a little bit more multifactorial and less well understood in females.
0: So. So you could do this workup, this medical workup, and see if there's things that you could intervene in, both in men and women. Um, is there anything else that can be done to, before we talk about treatment, but let's talk about prevention. Is there any, anything that I could do or my husband could do um, that could prevent hair loss?
1: Well, if it's going to happen to you later in life, there's not really anything you can do to prevent the onset of, of that phenomenon. However, once, the, once hair loss has begun, absolutely, there are many things that you can do uh, um, uh, to slow down the progression of hair loss. Sometimes in certain patients uh, with certain treatments, the hair loss appears to stop altogether, and, in, and even in some cases, it can appear to grow back. But there are many things that, that can be done to prevent hair loss. In, in men, there's a medication called finasteride, which directly lowers the the level of the hormone that's causing hair loss, so it's very effective. Um, Low-level laser therapy is also very effective for both men and women, and that's a type of therapy you can do at your own home, at your own convenience. You can do it in the car. It's basically like a little cap uh, that fits under a baseball cap and has many little lasers in there that gently, and it's a cool laser, doesn't get hot, Uh, gently stimulate the hairs, and it's kind of like sending your hairs to the gym for a workout. So that's kind of a stimulatory thing. There's also platelet-rich plasma, uh, and then a host of of topical things like Rogaine. Um, There's even shampoos that can help uh, as well.
0: So um, in terms of effectiveness, if if you were talking to your son or your daughter about hair loss, how, how would you tell them, to start uh, in terms of either doing some of these preventive measures or or actually progressing progressing into the treatment measures what how do you, how, how should we think about this
1: well that's a great question actually that's a great question many patients come into my uh, center and they uh, with, with sort of a um, a general attitude that they're going to kind of check off that box and and put hair loss behind them because they're going to take the treatment or whatever, and, and, you know, uh, it's a done deal. They don't have to worry about it in the future. Uh, There are, uh, it turns out there's a bunch of similarities between hair loss and tooth decay. Now, everybody has tooth decay, and therefore we all brush our teeth. We also floss, and we also use mouthwash, and, we have our teeth cleaned by the dentist and yet we still get cavities. That underscores the incurable nature of tooth decay. It's the same with hair loss. It's not a box you can check off when you come into my office and leave. It's something you're going to be dealing with uh every, you know forever until it, just like you're dealing with 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 dental decay. And so, so kind th- that's sort of a general to, uh, thing ha- to think about.
0: Analogous to living with a chronic illness, although you're not really ill, it's really more of a no, it's not an illness, it's not end. a
1: disease, it's just a normal variant of the human condition. And um, unlike Dennis, you know, if, if you lose all your teeth, you can go have pores, you can have them made in a lab, and they'll put new teeth in there for you. We don't have that luxury in hair. The analogous well, situation well, a in a hair would be a wig, so hair is really important. A hair transplant surgery is merely a redistribution of hair that happens to be, you know, remaining on the scalp. And so if it's early onset loss or aggressive loss uh, starting to happen, you really want to pay a lot of attention to preventing hair loss as soon as you see it. And you're going to be engaged in preventive activities, uh, you know, for as long as you're brushing your teeth. So that can really help slow down the hair loss and save it for a transplant if needed.
0: So, so I want to I want to back up and talk about something you and I talked about before the show started, and that was kind of the different levels of treatment and how you think about, um, you know, like the low level all the way up to the top level. Can you can you take us through that? Sure. Yeah, there are
1: over 200,000 products and services marketed to the American public uh, for the treatment of hair loss, a small handful of which are FDA approved or have shown any efficacy in the medical community. Uh, In the top tier of effectiveness, the most effective thing you can do to stop hair loss uh, is a medic for men, it's men only, and and, and post-menopausal women, um, uh, it's a drug called finasteride. And that drug directly lowers the level of a uh, type of hormone that causes hair loss in both men and women, and so that's a first-line therapy. Also, uh, low-level laser therapy shows a great deal of promise, and I put it in the top tier of effectiveness as well. And that's, so that's a, a those device.
0: Gadgets that you can buy on Amazon, right?
1: Um, yeah, you can buy some. There are some cheaper versions with a few lasers on Amazon. Um, the you know the physician grade caps have uh, well over 200 lasers, almost 300 lasers in there. Uh, you can only get them through physicians' offices. Um, but you know the, you know some lasers are better than no lasers. Uh, the more lasers in the device, the, the more effective it tends to be. So, what so would that be a recommendation
0: the... that somebody should visit a somebody knowledgeable about hair transplant and have them write a prescription for the the no,
1: Many many hair transplant centers uh, will simply sell these to the public. Oh, okay. So you can buy them directly. Uh, If you're looking for a provider, I would, you know, there's so many getting into the specialty these days. There's, uh, you know, I would look out for things like uh, you know, the service of hair restoration suddenly appearing on a long list of services already provided by that cosmetic physician. Perhaps it's not, you know, hair restoration is its own specialty now. Uh, you can't just, you know, put put it on your website and consider yourself an expert. But because of the new instrumentation and technology that's come out in the past several years, a lot a lot of people are doing that. So I would look for. Uh, a provider who is dedicated to the specialty, has a long history of dedication to practicing hair transplant surgery exclusively, uh, and a proven track record of success.
0: And so before we go on on, on this list of interventions, I want to ask you, is is there a, an official stamp of approval that, that people can look at? Like we're always told if you want to get plastic surgery, you should look for somebody who's board certified in plastic surgery. Um, is there a Board certification for the subspecialty of hair transplantation
1: there is uh, hair transplants a brand new specialty um, you, you know it, when you compare it to other specialties um, there is a board examination uh, they started administering that a couple of years ago um, but there is um i would say there's an enli- hair transplant is such a small little um pond that there's an international alliance of hair restoration surgeons i mean anybody can take a test and pass the board exam it's not like a regular boards where you have to train for a number of years and and sit for a practical uh and oral examination that's what you know like my ent surgery boards and my facial plastic surgery boards were like that the hair transplant surgery board is just getting started so it's more like just a test uh, but people want to know more you know they want to know who has the proven track record well, there's a, a, so, um, a society called the International Alliance of Hair Restoration Surgeons, and that's uh, you can find that on the web, IAHRS.org. And that's a, uh, basically a consortium of about 70 of us uh, from around the world who are definitely dedicated 100% to the uh, treatment of hair loss in, in male and female patients. I know... Um, there are several in the United States, and if you go to that website, there's a whole list of of doctors near you that that personally I would trust uh, uh, with my family, and it's where I would start if I was looking for you know a dedicated provider with a with a long history of ethical treatment of patients uh, and, and success in both non-surgical and surgical procedures.
0: Okay, well that's great advice. Um, so so we started with level one. What I'm going to go back to the treatment. What, what is level two in terms of the treatment? Level have... two would
1: be occupied by, uh, in my opinion, by platelet-rich plasma therapy. Uh, and then just to finish up quick in level three and final level, that would be anything uh, topical like any shampoo, uh, roguing, any lotion, potion, cream, ointment, or salve that you take from the outside world and physically put on your head. That's going to occupy the least effective uh, uh, Rung, the, the you know it's important to remember that because the phenomenon has no cure, just like we f- brush and we floss and we visit the dentist, it's important to use more than one therapy. You know, Rogaine itself can be you know mildly effective. Uh, it should not be used and depended on uh, uh, for a solo therapy. Um, I, multiple therapies are indicated. You know, I'd, just for many men, uh, I would say you know finasteride, a laser cap, and platelet-rich plasma therapies, or even a vampire hair restoration, um, something like that. You know, you throw a lot at it because it's a problem that has no cure, and uh, we want to save as much hair as possible.
0: Okay, can't let you. I can't let you go by without telling me what is what is the vampire hair transplant.
1: Was vampire hair restoration is very much like the vampire facelift that we've all been her- hearing about and have for several years. Kim Kardashian uh, uh, popularized it. Uh, Dr. Charles Runnels is the inventor of the vampire facelift. He's a, a colleague and friend of mine. And, uh, we, you know, we have the vampire technology at the Anderson Center for Hair, and what I do is combine it with uh, um not only, uh, obviously, the PRP procedure, we combine it with fetal uh, growth proteins and serum, a biotechnology product from AQ Complex, and then I perform microneedling, and this is all one procedure. The microneedling uh, uh, is down to uh, not very deep, just 0.5 millimeters, but it stimulates a healing response uh, in the scalp with, uh, with uh, the presence of the PRP and the fetal growth proteins uh, tends to stimulate a sort of a, hopefully a regrowth uh, in the you know in the hair it's much like prp it's just enhanced with a little uh, with, with some of the uh, the biotech products and the microneedling procedure involved
0: okay so the vampire is the microneedling i am familiar with that for people who want to use it for improving um, skin tightness for example, yes. So uh, then the
1: improved so- skin tightness because it causes a slight injury and the skin rep- responds by making a little bit more elastin and collagen, which makes the skin a little more tight. In, in in the scalp, we're looking for hair growth. So those little micro injuries, you know, on the hairs that are kind of fading away in the presence of the growth factors and the the PRP and the patient's own growth factors, um, a lot of times the hairs can come back uh, even stronger. And so that's that's why we do it. It's like it's like a uh, it's like an enhanced prp procedure.
0: Yeah, okay. And um so the microneedling some there are there are um things that you can buy on the internet to do the microneedling, you know, by yourself at home Are is is that true also for scalp microneedling where you could, you know, go and buy the instrument and I suppose you the... could,
1: but it would uh it it uh, it might sting a bit.
0: My, my <laughs> okay. <laughs> you Just you know, the way we do it here. <laughs> here, I
1: don't, you know, we put a little lidocaine cream on there. And sometimes, you know, if the patients are a little bit tender headed, I'll put a little bit of lidocaine in there to help them get through it. It's really not a, a painful procedure, but if you tried it at home without those, it, um, you know, I think if you have a higher pain threshold, you could certainly do that. They do make uh, uh, rollers out there. I go 0.6 millimeters. Uh, I guess a 0.5 millimeter roller would approximate that, but. I just don't think, you know, patients have a tough time seeing where their own hair loss is, frankly. We're not really built yeah, as human be little, beings to a see hard, the back of our own heads very well without photographs. And so, you know, especially with the ladies trying to get back into some of part, some of the parts of hair loss on the back, it, it re- obviously really helps to have someone be able to visualize that. Uh, and so, you know, we offer the procedure uh, at our
0: center. Okay. so So we've talked about this level. Now, What's been the last part of, of our conversation together, talking about the actual surgical procedures, the actual transplants themselves? Um, I know there are a lot of people like myself who remember when hair transplants first started and, and people got those plugs and the, uh, it, the, the look was not really very natural. You could immediately tell that somebody had had the hair transplants, so Even though they had hair now, it wasn't natural looking. What's new in the actual transplantation of the follicles that you think can give people a more natural look? Well, the natural look of
1: a hair transplant procedure is 100% dependent upon the surgeon and his team that are performing the procedure. There's no real, there's no technology out there that can assure you of a good result. Just like no paintbrush you can buy at any store is going to assure you a beautiful painting, no robot or laser or device of any kind is going to ensure a natural result. That's completely up to the doctor. And that, as mentioned earlier in our talk, that's one of the reasons I love it, because it feels like I'm drawing, and uh, I have a real passion for it. Um, Other surgeons find it incredibly boring. Um, You know, it's to each his own. Uh, I happen to love it. you know, it's a it's a transfer. It can be a transformational uh, experience. Um, a lot and so of So, what do you do? What do you
0: do that besides being, you know, having this artistic talent, which is fantastic, and yep. loving it? What technically do you do that's different from the physicians who don't get a good result? Is it is it paying attention well, well, couple to things the things hair I do. in the I've, follicle, or? Well, one of
1: the re- one of the things I do is. Um, a follicular unit extraction surgery. A lot of patients don't want the linear scar on their scalp. They don't want to have the telltale sign. This is mainly for men who you know may wear very short haircuts. Hair restoration has long been plagued with you know uh, unsightly scars on the scalp. The follicular unit extraction procedure gets around that. Uh, it's a procedure that I've been doing since 2003. I, I set the world record in 2004 with the most number of grafts extracted in a. In, a, in one of these types of procedures, and I've been, you know, doing it ever since. Well, Today okay, stop, I use stop, a wait, surgical a robot. Second.
0: Does that, does that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, I want to really understand this. So as opposed to transplanting, say, a strip of hair or a strip of scalp that has the hair in it, you're transplanting okay, so, one follicle at a time?
1: Okay, so yes, and, to, and around the turn of the century, it went, it's not like that we sew the strip back on the scalp. That strip of, if we do a linear procedure, we take a thin strip of scalp from the area that has the the permanent hair, and I hand that to my very talented uh, team of technicians. This is an interesting surgery that without great technicians, you're not going to have great results no matter how good the doctor is. Uh, each of my uh, technicians, um, they're obviously full-time. Each of them have, been, have had more than 10 years' experience doing this. And so what they do is they take that strip from me and then under dissection microscopes dissect each individual follicle from its brother or sister uh, while I'm doing, you know, when I'm doing some surgical work on the patient. So it's a follicle-by-follicle it's a follicle transplant, essentially a one-hair-at-a-time transplant, whether you get the linear or the robotic FUE procedure. It's just that you know patients, and that's what I want to touch on right now. A lot of people still think it looks like doll's hair, or it looks pluggy, or it looks like a hair transplant. And I tell each one of my patients that you know if you if you can tell someone's had a hair transplant, that, then they that's a failure in in my mind. The very best hair transplant results should fly completely under the radar and not be noticed at all. Um, and the reason we can do this is because it's not it's simply not pluggy anymore. That hasn't been the, the, you know, that went out of vogue in 1998. Um, The technology improved, the methods improved, um, and now, you know, now we have robots to help us out. Um, The robots really – And do the robots
0: uh, put the – are they used to take the follicles out or are they used to implant them?
1: They're used to take them out for now. Uh, Implanting is a very, uh, you know, it – a particular and tedious process that requires a great deal of human judgment. And that's what my – so I have my technical staff place those graphs uh, one at a time. I know the, co- the Restoration Robotics is the company that's, that makes the robot. I know they're working hard on, on, on implantation technologies, um, but that's, that's still in the research and development uh, phase right now.
0: So right now it's a manual placement yes. of each of the follicles one by one. And talk yes, to me a little bit real- about – what do you need to look at? I I did read on your site that that you actually pay attention to how the hair is growing out of the follicle, uh, to oh, make yeah. sure that when you put the when you put the hair follicle in, the hair's gonna grow in the direction that you want, as opposed to I don't know if that's what a cowlick is, but as opposed to growing in some crazy direction that that aesthetically wouldn't be pleasing.
1: Correct. I'm really I'm just Doctor Ken Anderson. I I am not Mother Nature. And so I'm only trying to mimic what used to be there. And, uh, and in most cases, um, you know, you can see, you know, even on patients who have a lot of hair loss, if you look real close, and, uh, you can see little tiny hairs, and, and they'll give you the, uh, the direction that, the, the, you know, the hair used to be, and that provides it, you know, makes the job a little bit easier for me so that I don't have to, you know, I can sort of really restore It's called hair restoration. We're trying to restore uh, their looks and their hair just how it was, not in a generic, here's your hair, uh, this is the angle it's going. But, you know, if there was a cowlick there, oftentimes the evidence is still there. and We can recreate it or not, according to the patient's wishes. It really is, you know, just even though we have robots and lasers and all this stuff, it really is straight-up artwork. I get to oh. walk up on, on patients and draw in the hairline where I feel it should be and where it looks good and it really is that type that level of of judgment at any hair restoration uh, outfit you know no matter no matter what they say cuz that's 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 the technology today so it really is just a you know a draw you know draw right on there and so as again artistic talent really comes in uh, to play in this particular facet of facial plastic surgery
0: and so give us an idea of the range of costs. Let's just talk about the follicular transplant um, and a male, a typical male pattern baldness. Approximately what should a patient anticipate that they need to save up for, because I'm assuming that there are no uh, insurance companies that are paying for this.
1: Nope. The insurance companies, unfortunately, do not cover this. Um, and in terms of how much it costs, that can vary uh, pretty widely. The non-surgery things um, start at a few hundred dollars, The you know, the PRP procedures and uh, microneedling and so forth. The surgical procedures, you know, kind of vary based on how much hair needs to be transplanted, how difficult the case is, how many procedures has the patient had previously, and a number of other factors um, factor into how difficult that case is going to be. And how much time it will take. And smaller, right. smaller procedures can start anywhere from a three to more typically five or six thousand bucks. Uh, larger robotic procedures, you know, can be as high as uh, twenty thousand dollars.
0: Okay, so it's kind of in kind of in the the lower end for a typical plastic surgery facial plastic surgery type of procedure.
1: You know, the last time I checked prices on on regular procedures was two thousand three. So I, I I don't know. It's you know I think that the price varies all over the place uh, when you look. It's it's absolutely true because you know it's but it's it's a service, not a product. So, it's not something that's the same. So it's it's you yeah, know I, I, I think it would be it would pay to interview with one or more uh, providers. Uh, many many serious providers offer virtual consultations. So geography should not be a limiting factor. Um, it's a permanent result. The good thing about hair transplants results is that they're permanent. The bad thing about hair transplant results is that they're permanent. And so if you're not, you know, it, it's elective medicine. When you meet with your surgeon, you know, get to know him. How much time are you spending with that surgeon? It's, you know, it's, it's just like any other, uh, you know, a service uh, that's important to you. You know, take your time and, uh, you know, interview a few doctors and see, see who you feel comfortable with.
0: So at times, I can't believe that we, we only have a minute left, but I think that what would be most helpful to close with um, is if you could tell our listeners again about that international organization that they can go to where they can find people like you who are dedicated uh, and experienced hair transplant surgeons as a place to start. Could you, could you give, the, give yes, us that, uh, the name of that organization? Yes,
1: The organization is called the International Alliance of Hair Restoration Surgeons. Uh, It's unlike any other um, group of hair restoration surgeons. There are a couple. Um, That's the one that they do site visits yearly. They inspect your work. Uh, I know the founder, Spencer Corbin, and the senior medical advisor, Paul McAndrews, very well. Um, You know, they're, they're not... They have the patient's best interest in mind. They uh, are recommended by the American Hair Loss Association. Um, All the doctors on the list are recommended by the American Hair Loss Association. The website is www.iahrs.org, which is International Alliance of Hair Restoration Surgeons. And uh, this is, you know, I'm just looking at the list now on my computer. These are all respectable guys. Uh, and and ladies that, uh, you know, that I see at the educational meetings. These are the people that I see giving the talks. I'm sorry to
0: have to cut you off, but we are completely out of time. But I want to thank you, Dr. Anderson. This has been a wonderful trip through uh, the world of hair loss and hair restoration. So thank you very much for joining us.
1: You're so welcome. It was great to be here.